joining me on the pavilion today is Glenn Pockner. Uh, Glenn is the coach for the Wellington Firebirds, a New Zealand cricket team. He is also quite popular these days for his work with Devon Conway. He is Devon Conway's coach in New Zealand. Glenn, welcome to the pavilion. Thank you for joining me. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks. I've been following your few podcasts for the the last few months. So it's been, um, yeah, when you reached out, it's, it was good um, good timing because definitely keen to have a chat to you after listening to some of the, the awesome guests you've had on. So, um, yeah, sharing some of my insights and sharing some of the, the things that have happened, I guess, over the cricket world over the last six months is, um, yeah, also, also an opportunity. So thank you as well. Fantastic. Well, Glenn, I think I think um, probably the most obvious uh, conversation starter with you these days is your work with Devon. Um, how long have you worked with him? Oh, ever since he got to New Zealand. I was going to say ever since he got to New Zealand, but it wasn't really. It was wasn't really till he broke into the Wellington Firebirds team. Um, uh, it probably would have been three months after he arrived in Wellington. So, look, I've, I'm one coach that's out of probably 100, I reckon, that have, have worked with him in New Zealand. Um, like most players, they have access and they have, um, I have, they have different touch points with people that they work on. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm one person and, and um, you know, that's cool. I, I feel very privileged to be able to work with him. Um, and I guess also be able to share a little bit of his success being, um, you know, being a part of his life, I guess, and a part of his journey over, over the last kind of four years, it's been pretty, um, special to, to see what he's done, having known him over that period and seeing, seeing how hard he's worked, I guess, and how dedicated he is. So it's, um, yeah, it's been, it's been great. You know, um, it's it's one thing, you know, for us to say, you know, Glenn is Devon's coach, but you know, automatically when we do that, all the attention shifts to Devon because he's having quite the career right now. You know, he is in good form, he's playing well, he's doing very, very well. And we forget about you, the coach, you know, because some of his success, as you said. It's partly because of what you do with him. It's not you alone as other coaches, but it's, there's also the input from you as an individual. And I would like to find out more about you. You know, how, how did you start as a coach? Yeah, it was really interesting. I, I, was, I was a failed player, I guess, is probably the best <laughs> way to describe it because... Look, I wanted to be somebody like Devon or somebody like Kane Williamson or somebody like Ross Taylor when I was a kid growing up. I wanted to to play, um, you know, either rugby or cricket for New Zealand. So uh, it didn't happen. And I got to the age of 23 where I thought, well, well, I guess I came to the realisation that it wasn't going to happen. And I guess I got into coaching probably to start with for selfish reasons because I wanted to, um, I guess, live my dreams through other people in some respects. Um, and I fell into it just through an old coach. He, he said, oh, have you thought about getting into crew coaching? And I hadn't at that point. I just said, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll give it a crack. And 
Um, within a couple of years, I really fell in love with it and didn't fall in love with it for those selfish reasons that I was initially getting into it. I fell in love with it because it was pretty cool seeing other people do well and other people, uh, I guess, live out some of their dreams and some of their hopes that they wanted to achieve and in the sport and seeing people smile and things like that. It gave me a different buzz that I got from being a player. I think as a player, I've certainly got an individual buzz when I when I had a six or, or got a wicket. Um, and and a, you do get the team buzz, but I guess in a coaching capacity, you've got an opportunity to impact everybody's life on a daily basis, um, whether that be on the cricket field or whether that be off the cricket field with with something that may, they may be dealing with. It could be a, a life after cricket. It could be a relationship. It could be... Um, an attitude thing. It could be. It could be anything. That it's in a really cool position where you can have that impact on on individuals on a daily basis. And as a player, you just well, you can get that, but you could. You also need to be a little bit selfish in terms of looking after your own career. So, um, well, that was twenty years ago. So it's been it's been a long road, but so enjoyable. So you are like um, you are like one of those dads, you know. Uh, you want to be a doctor growing up, but it doesn't really happen. So you push your kids to do it, and <laughs> and then yeah, was... <laughs> I, like I, absolutely, I, I definitely was like it was. It was quite bizarre how how it worked because I I left school when I was eighteen and and had oh, I reckon four or five years of not really doing anything substantial with my life and um, kind of drifting along, and then and then it wasn't until this chance meeting I had with a a previous coach that um, I guess it gave me a bit of a second wind in terms of life, which happens with a lot of people when they go through um, those teenage years, you can, you can kind of go one way or one way or the other. And, and luckily for me, I, I fell into an area that I really enjoyed and was really passionate about. Um, and yeah, as you say, kind of now I can live some of my dreams and my fail, some of my failed dreams, I guess. And, live them through through other people and and that's pretty that's pretty cool to to see that like that's the biggest buzz I get where whether it's Devon or even if it's a young player who's um who's up and coming making his debut for Wellington just gets such a buzz seeing seeing them achieve something that they they have effectively dreamt about since they were a little kid. It's um that's really rewarding. You know, um I think a little while back um, I think I asked you about, about contracts, the, the span of contracts in New Zealand. And I think you said something like seven and a half months or something like that. But, you know, despite these contracts being so short, um, I think because of budgetary reasons, how do you manage to keep guys pushing and striving for for greater dreams, for greater things, you know. For example, they are late bloomers in cricket and you need them to constantly work hard for them to reach their dream. But, you know, with such short contracts, how do you guys manage to do that? Yeah, it's a really good question because it's changed so much. I guess I'm in going into my 10th year of being a professional coach at the professional level. And, and back then when I first started, it was... It was a challenge. It was really hard. You had to, you had to motivate guys. You had to push them. You had to sit down with them. You had to show them pathways, and it, and it was really tough. 
Whereas now it's it's actually easy. And, and the reason I say it's easy is because people can see the carrot now. Um, so all, all the guys at the moment, they're all off contract. So they're, 90% of them have got full-time jobs here in Wellington. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a select few that are um, overseas playing for New Zealand or playing county cricket or uh, in the IPL. Like, there's not many of them. So those, those guys are kind of fine. But the, the guys here stuck, stuck working in office from nine to five, um, they can see the carrot. They see what someone like Devin does or somebody like Fennell and what he's done, Tom Blundell. And, and they see they're not too far away from getting to that point. So it's in their best interest to, to go to six, a 6 a.m. gym session and, and get stronger and get fitter or take, um, take their lunch break instead of going, going out with their mates for lunch. They'll go to the nets and, and, and have a 45-minute hit. Um, so it's the, the level of professionalism has changed over that 10-year 10, 10 period quite dramatically that these guys now are so highly motivated that they just want to get better. And, and even though they are only contracted for that short amount of time, they, they do a huge amount of work off their own back in that winter period because they don't want anyone to overtake them. And they want to, I guess, put themselves in a position next winter where they're they're getting picked up by an IPL team or, or a, um, a 2020 franchise or um, they're getting a county deal to play four-day cricket because that's ultimately where their earnings are going to be maximised and also their career is going to potentially take off if they if they do well, which you just look at someone like Devin 12 months ago. He was, he was in Wellington in the winter, freezing cold. It's seven degrees here at the moment, 80K wins. Um, and you know that's that's tough, but this that was him twelve months ago. Uh, so things can change quickly if if you perform. That's the that's the key. If you perform well, things your your world in the cricket circles can change pretty quickly. So um, you know this just gave me a thought. You know that with guys having a nine to five, they have to work, they have to make the money, and then they have to somehow make time for training. I'm thinking. You must keep some very odd hours because chances are you are going to get someone after work and they come to you and they want to do something. They want yeah. to do something with a coach. Yeah, like, I don't luckily like, but my assistants do. Like uh, I, I was the guy I guess ten years ago where I did the odd hours when I was a little bit of the dog's body and and um, doing I guess all those other little roles. But now I'm. I'm pretty lucky that I've got such a good support team behind me. I've got a specialist batting coach, specialist bowling coach, and they 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 do all that. So they're they're as you say, mate. They're in at our Westpac Stadium, sorry, Sky Stadium down in, in Wellington at six o'clock in the morning. Um, so I I drop my kids off at eight o'clock, eight thirty, and I rock in about nine o'clock, and, and they've already been in there for three hours. Um, so yeah, it's it's long, it's tough for those guys. It's it's long hours for those guys. But as I said at the start, they they actually genuinely love it because they can see guys uh, make some improvements over over this period. And then I guess once they come into contract, contract starts in September, it all changes. Then there's a bit bit more of a normality around them um, where they where they I guess can come in at those hours that are a bit more flexible for. For, for their lifestyle so it's um yeah it's I, I guess the other the other point here is and it may be 
similar around the world, a lot of workplaces now do allow a bit more flexibility just with, I guess, with COVID and, and the challenges around um, office space and, and having X amount of people in, in buildings and things like that. So there's a bit more flexibility, which is good. So guys can come and go a little bit more. Um, it just means that they've got to try and combine everything, I guess, into their day, a gym session, a, a hit, um, work or university, family. Um, there's a lot going on, but it's um, the ones that can manage that and I guess can cope with that challenge mentally and emotionally are the ones that tend to kind of come, come out the other end of the conveyor belt and, and perform. Um, yeah, you have mentioned that you've been doing this for like 20 years now as a coach. Um, did you start with Wellington Firebirds or was it any other club? No, I started at a, um, I started with Wellington, but it was just an under 15B team. So it was a, a teenage team effectively. And, and I did that, I did that for, I think about three years and, and went through all of the age group teams in Wellington and that was fine but it was it was I reckon six maybe six years into my coaching career I got some really good advice from from Gavin Larson the former former Black Cap was the CEO of Cricket Wellington at the time and and I had a really frank discussion with him about what my goals were about how I wanted to coach Wellington and coach professional cricket and he was pretty blunt with me and said you're not you know it's not going to happen in New Zealand because I hadn't played to a high level um, and and that was that was fine. And I said, well, what 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 can I do? What do I need to do? And and he basically just said, look, you've got to you've got to go overseas and, and get some experience overseas. So um, that was really good advice at the time because I knew that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a coach. So the next day I resigned from my job and and buggered off overseas. So I had um, three winters overseas. I had a winter in, in Sussex, a winter in the Netherlands, and a winter in Ireland. Um, when I say winter, a New Zealand winter, not a not a winter over there. <laughs> um, so I did that. Yeah, did that for three years, and then uh, come the last stint where I was in Ireland. That's when I got the assistant coach role. So <laughs> it was pretty invaluable experience, um, and very thankful for for Gavin at the time for being really upfront and saying, "Look, I think you just need to broaden your horizons, get some overseas experience, and and." Um, it was the best thing I could do, really, because I, the, the highest level I played was club cricket, um, which is not in here. It's, it's not very high. And I'm dealing with guys now that are test cricketers and guys that have played, some guys that have played first-class cricket for 15 years. Um, some guys are earning close to a million dollars. So it's um, crazy to think that I can be a professional coach. I just have to pinch myself at times because it is like as – it's a it's a dream. It's an absolute dream for me. Um, but it's been a long road, as I said, twenty years. It's when I first started out. I don't think I envisaged myself actually genuinely being a professional coach. It wasn't until a couple of years into it where um, I thought about it, and then I guess the rest the rest happened. Which I'm very thankful for for the opportunities I've been given. You know, uh, this brings me a very interesting question because. In a lot of places, you know, there is a sort of bias towards former international players, former test players, for them to get into coaching roles. There's a sort of a, 
uh, a distrust on on people who did not play at a higher level. Um, did you personally have any problems with that after you were toured overseas and come back and then started your journey as a professional coach? Yeah, initially I did. It's it's um I think that bias is always going to be there, and it's it, in some ways it's natural that it's going to be there. Like I don't think you need to have played at the highest level to be a coach, but it, there's just it's just a natural tendency, as you say, around the world. You look at you look at a lot of the coaches, and they're all guys that have played um, at the high level. So, what what the way I looked at it is, is it just meant I needed to do things a little bit differently. And the first part of that was going overseas. And the second part of that I found is that whenever I went into an interview, and I went through heaps before I got these roles because I I wanted to be a professional coach and was unsuccessful. But I always tried to go in with. A point of difference because I would have imagined a player would go in with his experience as a player and how could he he could impart his experience as a player. So I always tried to go in with um, something different, and I guess I drew on some of my experiences overseas for that. So the first part was around um, analysis. I developed a huge understanding of analysis in Sussex when I was over there. They were light years ahead of where New Zealand was at the time in terms of how they use data and how they analyse performances and how they measure, um, I guess, how they measure training and how they presented that back to individuals. So I gathered so much knowledge on that and then put it in my own mind as to how I would use that if I was successful for particular roles here. Um, So use that as a selling point, I guess, for a better word and then after that, used um, it was probably developed over just a lot of research around around the mind and how the mind works. Uh, and I used used to call it kind of mind management, um, which was I guess um, yeah controlling the mind under pressure. So you obviously we've got the we've got the cricket side of things, we've got the technical and the tactical, um, but how can we do all that stuff under pressure? Um, so I really delved deep into. Uh, understanding how the brain works and how you can impact uh, people's thinking through through positive reinforcement and through positive messaging and um, strength-based bias and things like that. So that was, I guess, my next selling point. So I guess to go back to your question right at the start, I think that bias is always there. But for me, I kind of accepted that and I accepted that other people may get roles based on their playing experience. And I kind of was a little bit at peace with that. I just knew it was going to take me a little bit longer. But my main my main inspiration here was Mike Hesson, who, who coached the Black Cats for six years, because he, um, I guess, a, a lot of similar similarities where he didn't play to the highest level, but he, um, he reached the heights of being an international cricket coach and, and now an IPL coach as well. So it took so much inspiration from his story that it could be done. Mm. And you have just mentioned one subject that I really, really am interested in, you know, the mind of, of the athlete. Yeah. Um, what are some of the things that tools, so to speak, that you utilize when training players, you know, away from the technical, away from the skill, but how you work with, with these players mentally? Yeah, it's 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 a um, it's so fascinating because it's 
it's an amazing subject and I, I don't think you can ever really fully nail it because everybody's so different but we were toying a little bit with it today I guess one one thing we've tried to do is change our language around um, around I guess development because development in some people's minds is um, a negative word it's not but it can be oh if, if I'm if I need to develop then I'm not good enough so it can be an inadequacy so we've changed tried to change the wording of development to success so what does success look like and then talking a lot around uh, the strength based of that particular player um, so to give you an example we'll have we'll have players that will want to work on the cover drive because they're not very good at the cover drive and they'll do they'll do winters um, working on that one particular shot because they want to get good at it and they want to be able to play it in a game but what that does is it takes them away from where they've scored all their runs in the past and takes them away from their strength. And their strength might be hitting, hitting straight, might be pulling, and it may be cutting. So by putting so much emphasis on that development or that area they need to, in their mind, they need to get better at, they're taking a massive backward step. So we talk, from a batting perspective, all this, we talk about, I guess, their method um, and how they can use their method to better effect. Uh, and that's what I guess the best batsmen in the world do. They they don't actually play all the shots. Some days they do, but they look at a situation and they look at the conditions and they decide what is my best method here to get runs. And that may be leaving everything outside off. It may be not playing the pull shot. Um, so trying to have a lot of the conversations with players around that. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'd, be, I'd be interested how it is around the world, but especially in New Zealand in the winter, because it is so, um, we just can't get outside effectively into nets. So everything's indoors and everybody puts all the emphasis on technique, which there's an element of you, you need to do that, but you've also got to look at your method. You know, how can I score runs? Because everybody's so different as to how they hold the bat and their positioning and how they lift their bat up. So trying to, trying to get away from some of the technique talk and, and, and yeah, just use, use different language um, around methods and around um, adaptability and um, thinking positively about what they've got to do as opposed to what they can't do. Mm. You know, uh, and one of the things, and this is quite fascinating that I'm having this talk with you because one of the things that I've read about quite recently or in the past few years is the culture of the black camps. And then you are speaking of working with the mind and I'm thinking, you know, you need players to be in a certain mindset for you to build a certain culture. And how do you yourself go about team culture as at Wellington yeah that's um, that's I guess the, the first part I see is really trying to paint a picture for the team as to where where they're going to head and, and you can you can do that with the team or you can just say here it is and I've tended to kind of say here it is this is where I believe this team can go um, and that's I guess 
going back to the stuff I said at the start about the individual, that's similar, but you're doing it for the team. So what is this team capable of us? So is it is it winning a competition? Is it representing your past? Is it uh, representing your family? Is it a certain style of a certain style of play you want to be known for? Is it um, your character as a team? So really trying to put something big into their minds that wow, this this is this is where we can go. This is what we're capable of. And I guess the key, <coughs> excuse me, the key part after that is trying to identify what the behaviours are to to get that. So um, I think that's the easy part is in terms of culture. It's, it's every every team probably does it. Sits down, they talk about some key words: commitment, um, excellence. Uh, determination, whatever it may be, coming up with these words that they want to live by, but the hard thing is actually living them. So we try to we try to live them through sharing experiences. Um, so we we do a lot of shared experiences through our history, and we've got so much history. The the base reserve uh, ground where we play has been there since eighteen hundreds. And when it was originally formed, it was actually um, underwater and it was docked for ships and there was a big earthquake, which the land rose a metre up and then it formed um, the basin. So there's there's hundreds of years of history that's happened at this ground, both on the field and off the field. So we drew on a lot of that. And, and I guess as an association, it was, um, well, I can't remember off the top of my head when Cricket Wellington was formed, but it was it was over well over a hundred years ago. We've got a, a hundred years, close to a hundred years worth of cricket games played at this province. So we try and use a lot of shared experiences around those, I guess, two elements, and that for the players it just makes the purpose a little bit bigger than themselves because it easy it is easy to go into a game uh, just with that selfish attitude of, okay, I, I need to get 50 runs here, otherwise I'm going to be dropped. And and that is natural too, to have have that at times, but we try and make the purpose a lot bigger than themselves. Um, and I guess that we do that by by using that, that those experiences of the past and, and the history that we're, um, we're all representing. Mm. And... Um... <clears throat> You know, you have just spoken about you know, a player will think, I have to make runs here. Otherwise, if I don't make runs, I'm gone. Um, how then, you know, do you help? Because a player who is having a terrible period, a rough patch, you know, these are things that come, sport is cyclical, you know. Performance is not always going to be, a, you know, a, a straight line, you know you're going to get a dip, you're going to suffer form at some point. How do you help players uh, in these situations? It's a real balance, isn't it? Because there's going to come a tipping point where you're going to have to have the conversation with them that they're not in the team. Um, and that tipping point is going to be different for, for different players and different coaches, I'm sure. But um, I guess before it gets to that point, you, you want to show them through your through your actions and your words that you believe in them and that's why you've selected them so it's trying to bring them back again to their method um you've selected them because you feel they're good enough so it's reminding them of what their method is and to do that that may be that may be a past performance it may be i remember last season when we played 
this team and and you went out and you got um, you got five wickets for for thirty runs. And I remember you I remember you bowled and you kept swinging it away. And then every now and then you went wide of the crease and you angled it in. I remember when you got that goal of the short ball, you were bowling really quick and there was a big wind and he he, he tried to hit you up on the stand. He got that big top edge. So trying to get them to think about those good moments and then just reliving that story because and doing that prior to the game. So when they go out and they're playing this match, they've got all these positive thoughts in their head. They're not thinking about, okay, if I if I don't get a wicket today, I'm dropped. They're thinking, oh, well, yeah, I remember that. That was just last year on the same ground against the same team. I did this and this. doesn't mean they're going to succeed, but hopefully that thought is going to carry into that bowling spell or that batting spell, and it's going to give them a better chance. Um, as we talked about before, the mind, the mind's the big thing in this game, like, if you can control the mind and if you can get consistency with your thought processes and you you go a long way to having consistent success. And um, I sort of, earlier on, I sort of got the reason why you, you do it. You know, I think we, we played around with it that, you know, you want to see others succeed. You want to see others go beyond where you went as a, as a coach, uh, as a player, I mean. But what is um, uh, your your philosophy as as a coach? It's a hard question, eh? Like I, <laughs> when I first did my coach education, they they asked that, and we had to write pages and pages on coaching philosophy. And I think it it's probably simplified over time, but. <sighs> I think my philosophy is just wanting, wanting to see players improve and see players happy because as much as it's a professional environment and it's a, and it's a career and it's a sport at the same time, it's a big part of these guys' lives. So I really want them to enjoy that. And that's regardless of success or failure. And that's, that's hard because generally when players are succeeding, they're going to be happy. And when they're not succeeding, they're going to be unhappy. So, to do that is a real challenge as a coach. Um, but, you know, that's that's what I strive to do. That's what I want to do. I want to create an environment where it is fun for people to come to. So they're going to enjoy coming to training, regardless if they're in the team or not. Um, and they're also going to learn in that environment. So to simplify it, it's just creating, creating an environment where, where players are learning and players are uh, enjoying their time. Mm. And yeah. look, if I can get... 90% of players doing that, then I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty happy with that because it's, it's hard, as you can imagine. It's always players missing out on teams. Yeah, you know, and that is quite uh, an interesting bit for me too. How do you handle it? You know, a player has to miss out, you know. You cannot play everyone. And some of them are good, but they have to miss out. How do you handle that conversation? Yeah, it's it's um it's one of the most difficult things of the job, isn't it? Because you feel like you're shattering players' dreams, and I guess you are in some respects. But it's um I think you've just got to be authentic. You've got to be honest with them, um, and you've got to show them that you're you're there to support them, which at the time they probably won't hear, 
Um, but the support may come four days later after you've told them the bad news. It might be a phone call or it might be a coffee or it might be a 10-minute chat at the nets or it might be an individual session. So you've got to obviously be honest with them about the about the news and then the follow-up is, the I guess, the care piece in some ways and, and the support piece because you may need them. Uh, you may need them in, in two weeks' time or three weeks' time, but also you want them to get better. You want them to prove you wrong in some respects and you want them to get back in the team and show some fighting character. So to do that, you have to, yeah, cut them at the knees in some respects to say, look, you're not in the team, but I'm here to support you. I, I, I want you to develop. So for, for me, that's just having a, a real clear plan is how they are going to develop. Um, it might be, you know, you, your forward defensive screen needs to be um, a little bit tighter. So I'm going to put you on to this guy who's the best batting technician in the country. He's going to work with you three weeks to get really good at that um, and then come back after that. And then hopefully that's going to um, fix the problem of you getting bolder or be. So I guess, again, that's the support as well, because it's easy just to say, oh, you're not in the team and, and you forget about them and your mind goes elsewhere. But you've got to try and wrap wrap something a little bit around them to 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 help them get back into a position where they can can fight for their spot. You know, um, one of the things that I've taken a liking to is is how coaches handle uh, players who are sort of different. Uh, some will call them bad apples. You know, you're always going to get that player who's not going to neatly fit in a box. Hmm. They they have their own way. Um, how do you handle such players yourself? Yeah, man, it's that's really changed over over time too, and it's a it's a it's a balance as well. Like it's because you want them to you want them to be a part of the team and to buy into what the team's doing. But at the same time, you don't want to take away their individuality as a person um, and their personality because that's, I guess, them. That's their individualism, which makes them who they are. And that, I guess, can lead into the expression on the field and the way they play their cricket. So for me, it's just about understanding each individual, being really, really clear on who they are, what they're about, and what they want to what they want to be perceived as, I guess, as a teammate. So that's one of my initial conversations with players, especially new players coming in. It's having that conversation. It's you know, what are you what are you about? Um, if somebody from who doesn't know you walks in and sees you train, what do you want them to see? Um, and the answers are very different. Some guys will say, "Oh, that I want them to see me really focused, um, working really hard, giving it a hundred percent." And another bloke will say, well, I want them to come in and see me having a laugh and having fun and being jovial. And I'll, I'll ask, what makes you say that? Why do you want, why would you want them to see that? And they'll say, because that's, that's me at my best, because I'm relaxed. That's my way of relaxing is having a laugh. Whereas the other guy, his way of relaxing is being really focused, really determined. So it's understanding that. And then every player has got to understand that those differences in those players because one player will look at the guy laughing and say, oh, he's just having a laugh. He's he's not taking this seriously. 
but he is. He's, you know, that's the, the individualism piece. So we do quite a bit of work on it um, and we, we talk about it. So guys share those types of stories as a group so everybody knows. Uh, and when you've got the understanding of everybody and how everybody works, people tend to uh, be a little bit more accepting of those different personalities. And because it's hard, isn't it? You know, you've got a team and we want to do this and we want to do this and well, this guy's laughing and it's, I think the old school way of handling that is that guy's not taking it seriously. So it's really getting getting down to them as a person and understanding them and, and I guess what's going to be best, what's going to be best for them, which in turn is going to be best for their performance when they when they play. And Glenn, uh, what kind of coach are you? You know, some coaches, when they are sitting on the uh, on the pavilion, you know, they they are very expressive. They, you know, the player goes out, he, you can see that the coach coach is not happy at all. And some coaches are very stoic. You know, you cannot get get a read on what they are thinking or whatever. Um, what kind of a coach are you? Are you expressive or are you on the other end? It's really changed over time, I reckon. Like at, at the start, I was very expressive because I would be living and living and breathing every single ball. So if a player had a six, I'd be up clapping and um, you know, it's cheer, cheering almost. But if a player got out to a bad shot, you know, I'd you know be giving it that one and saying, "What's what shots he playing?" And but over time, just through experience, I've I guess I've learned to be able to deal with those ups and downs, and not not deal with them. I guess I've I've learned that there's only limited I can do from the sideline. When they're out there, it's just accepting what they're doing, and just accepting it like so for me that's just watching the game of cricket yes I'll take notes and I'll store information up but I don't give any cues I guess of whether I'm happy or whether I'm disappointed whether I'm angry or whether I'm overjoyed I just watch the game of cricket and and try and enjoy it Um, because the other way when I first started I found that was so tough because at the end of the day just absolutely mentally drained because it is it is easy to live and die off every ball when you're the coach because you think every every shots you know we've just hit a four we're going to win the game or well, we've lost the wicket we're going to lose now so try to remain pretty pretty level throughout the game and store everything up as I can go but yeah it's taken a while and got look got got some really good feedback early on in my career through you know player surveys and things like that. Um, the, the expressive nature wasn't appreciated um, through the players because they felt a little bit more on edge. So, um, yeah, it was good to get there quite early on. And um, do you, like, uh, import uh, lessons from, from other sports, I think, into your coaching philosophy or methods? Yeah, I have a little bit in the past. Um, we, we've done a little bit of stuff with baseball for fielding. <clears throat> this is about oh, four years ago, I think. And we tried to get them again last winter, just to, yeah, just around throwing. And, and we're looking at, um, we're lo- <coughs> excuse me, we're looking at um, football goalkeepers for diving, for diving techniques, you know, for static fielding positions, short cover, gully, 
short mid wicket, um, those types of positions, just to just to get a different voice and just to get a different perspective as to what they do. Um, we've looked a little bit at tennis as well. Um, not so much. We haven't got a coach, and we've just looked at their movements um, when the ball's coming back to them. Again, probably more just for fielding, just where their feet are landing and how they're aligned um, and how quickly they move side to side. Uh, but the, the probably the one that um, I reckon has been the most beneficial is actually an optometrist. Um, so she she came on board three years ago. Uh, and she's worked with a bit with netball here in New Zealand, and and she came in and did a lot of tests with our players. So we, we do our normal tests, um, strength and conditioning tests like speed, um, strength, and all those things. And we we found a really interesting fact about one of the players who was one of our fastest sprinters over a twenty meter period, but in a match he looked really slow, um, just from especially on the boundary when his footing looked really slow. So we we couldn't figure this out whatsoever. Um, so it wasn't until she'd come in and she did all these various different tests. And the one she did was a, basically a traffic light uh, system. And when it came red, you had to press red and that recorded your reaction time. So it turned out this player actually had the slowest reaction time to when the colour went red to when he touched it. So we automatically translated that back to a batsman hits the ball. And it's not that he's actually slow running-wise, he's actually just slow to pick up the ball. Um, so it was really cool. So we had a chat to her about, okay, how can we how can we improve that? And she said, oh, she she worked with him for six months. In the studio, it, was, it wasn't, it was nothing on the cricket field. She worked with him in the studio and just did all these eye exercises with him and, and it improved his reaction time markedly, which was amazing. So that's one story of, of how she's help one of the fielders, but she's, there's numerous other things that she's done. So and it makes sense, say, the eyes and cricket are so important because um, it's just, it's all it all revolves around speed. Reaction yep. time, 150k bowler or picking up the ball when you're in the deep and getting there. So it was, it was pretty cool to see that example kind of play out. Hmm. And the, this player... Was he a bowler or a batter? He was a batter, but funny enough, it didn't it didn't affect his batting. So we, we asked about this. We said, "Well, how, how's it?" He was a top order batter. He batted um, three and four most of his career. We we said, "How does this not affect his batting?" Um, and she seemed to think he's getting all the cues from the bowler from all this, and then he's getting the early cues from that, which is getting not cheating, but he's almost getting himself into a position early, naturally, like he never thought about it, but because he played for a long period, he was very good at picking up the cues, which meant as the ball was coming, he almost knew where it was going to be. So it's amazing. It's amazing how how it kind of worked and how that conversation kind of went because it doesn't quite make sense, does it? <laughs> and, you know, how do you think that you – having not actually played professionally for a long time is an asset to you exploring these things. You are better able at thinking outside of the box because you are not boxed in by tradition of, you know, this is how we did things as 
when we were playing. So, you know, you have spoken about tennis, baseball, you know, optometrists coming in. You know, these are all out-of-the-box things. You are not limiting yourself. Is it? Do you think there's a link between that and you just being a professional coach? I would like to think so. Yeah, like the other the other part is is I am a, naturally an innovator. I want to find the best person that's going to help, whether it's the team or that individual. So, and look, I'm the first to admit that that's not me. Um, and and I think that's a challenge for any coach because as a coach, you're supposed to have all the answers. Well, you're not supposed to have all the answers. However, a lot of coaches think they need to have all the answers. So that can come across as a as a bit of a know-all, if that makes sense. So I freely admit it that I won't. And you see that a little bit with past players, uh, depending on what their skill set is. If, if it's batting, let's say it's batting, for instance, then they'll be perceived to have to have all the answers about batting, but they won't. There's, there's no way. They maybe have the answers about something they did, <coughs> But that's where you just need to use use more people because there's so many different ways for batting again, using that same example. There's so many different ways to score runs and there's so many different techniques. None of them are right, none of them are wrong. It's, it's about understanding what is best for that player. So, as, yeah, to answer that question, not having played, I'm really open to exploring all of those ideas because I don't have my own set way of doing things. Let's try, let's try holding the bat like this and see how this impacts you. Okay. Well now let's have a go at this. What one works best for you? Oh, this one works best for you. Okay. Let's have another, let's have a session on that way. And then we'll revert, we'll revert at the end of the session and, and get your thoughts. Whereas the, the past player may go, this is the way I held the bat. So I can do this. Not, not all of them. It's just, it's just the way I see it, uh, I guess, as being a, um, a strength of mine. Not having played, I can, I can survey the options a bit more. And, um, you know, I think New Zealand is not quite a big, big country, you know. So the international players, they are going to be very spread amongst the clubs. So I suppose you are going to have two, three, or maybe four uh, black caps in your Wellington Fibers team. Uh, do you have, in the situation that you have an ego problem, how do you deal with that? Because, you know, player grows big, they are going to look at themselves differently to the way someone who has not played international cricket will. It's, it's human nature. Yeah. So look, yeah. To answer that, <coughs> to answer that, it's it's about again having the player understanding the bigger the bigger purpose of when they come into our team, what they what they're playing for, because it, it is easy to, as you say, come back and uh, not not I guess not feel it's important enough or or feel that you're too good for it or whatever it may be. But as if we've got that understanding early of when you're here, this is this is what it means. It's not actually about you. It's about it's about this. It's about this big picture that needs to be re- reinforced quite a bit. Um, and thankfully, like we haven't had that. We haven't in the 
last few years anyway, we, we've, we haven't had that issue. We've had, we've had guys coming back from New Zealand, Black Caps teams, and they've wanted to contribute and they've wanted to help others and they've, they've wanted to be a good role model um, for, for younger players, which is great. And I do put that down to us really discussing with them about, um, about what we're all about. You know, if I look back uh, prior to my time, I don't, I don't believe that mindset was there. You, you got players, and not just Wellington, but probably a lot of teams within New Zealand, you got players coming down and didn't think they should be here. They thought they should be there. And then you get tensions and then you get bad attitudes. And But coaching, especially in New Zealand, has really evolved and, and really um, there's been a lot more big picture thinking and a lot more emphasis, I guess, on on um, on the team and and how the the functioning of the team uh, or the successful functioning of the team is the most important aspect, and then from that, performances should take care of themselves. Hmm. Um, Glenn, thank you very much for joining me on the pavilion today. I think uh, this Zoom call might might just cut me off now, but. Uh, I really, really enjoyed this this chat, and I hope we can have another one soon. Yeah, absolutely. I've enjoyed it as well. Yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, any time, mate. I'm a bit, I'm a bit freer now. There's no cricket on uh, in the middle of the night. So, <laughs> yeah, no, it'd be be um be great to have a chat, and be good to hear hear some of your stories and hear some of your experiences as well in, in terms of cricket over there. Fantastic. Um, 